Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Brew and Bright show. My name is Craig, the panel is here, we have Tina, Martin and Alistair and we're going to be talking about all the latest release of 14.4, what to expect in Mac OS 11.3 and someone swallowed an AirPod. Find out more over the next hour. Before we say hello to the panel, I just wanted to say a thank you to all of our listeners out there. Over the last few shows, we've had an amazing response. As far as New Zealand, Switzerland, Canada, and even our youngest listener, 13-year-old Churo from Italy. Thank you all for tuning in. We really love to hear from our listeners. And as always, you can send us an email, tweet, or voice message, all of which our details can be found in our show's description. So first up, let's say hello to our panel. We are joined firstly by Tina. Hello, how are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? Enjoying the snow. Have you been making snowballs? It's not been that much of snow, but it's fallen and it's been white and it's felt wintry, but not enough to build a snowman. And let's say hello to Alistair this evening. How are you? I'm okay. Um, Enjoying the festive weather we're having. The snow here has just been sort of coming down, but not even melting almost on instant hitting off the pavement. No nice layers over the top of the cars. And how is... Martin with his weather report. Uh, good evening, all. Uh, weather report here is clear, dry, not a speck of snow anywhere at the moment, but it is cold out there. So, so it's a case of snow fast, snow good. Oh, you're dying to get that one in, weren't you, Alice? <laughs> uh, he's, been, he's been waiting all night to get that line in. Well done. I can see a joke book in the corner there. <laughs> so, this week has been extremely busy, unlike the other weeks we've had with Apple News. We're going to try and avoid the financial report, as that's been covered throughout, I'm sure. Now we know that there is the brilliant iPhone in use. So first up, we're going to talk about some updates. We've seen the release of iOS 14.4. So firstly, I'm going to hand over to Alistair and see if he's discovered anything on his update. Apparently, the latest update uh, has improved a series of security flaws discovered by Microtrend the antivirus company, and apparently it now deals with ultra-small or micro QR codes, so it helps the camera identify those. I've not come across anything recently. I've only upgraded very recently to it, so I haven't had a full chance to look at anything much. Have you come across much yourself, Craig? There's been a discussion around iMessages and sandboxing. I don't know if you've seen that. So this has recently been introduced. One area that they believe that iOS was being infected by or attacked with was through the iMessaging client. And they've activated something nicely nicknamed by a Star Wars developer out there called Blast Doors as their defense. So when you send an iMessage, it now goes into a secure enclave area and is checked before it's opened or delivered rather than being linked to the OS. Yes, I've come across in this in the past. I had seen someone showed me a phone which had been compromised. Someone had sent it an iMessage with malicious payload and when the message was opened, it automatically added stuff to reminders and calendar. It took ages for us to work out how to get rid of it and eventually the client took it to the Apple store and they said, oh, your phone's been infected via our message and they had to wipe out the phone and they just gave the customer a new phone because they, they couldn't at the time deal with it. It was, this would be an iOS 9, so some time back. The other one that was quite interesting was that supposedly there is now a notification on the iPhone when your camera is being activated. You may have seen a little colored dot in the corner. I don't know if any of you have seen that yet. The colour varies, doesn't it? Because there is there's a colour for your microphones being used and then there's a different colour if your camera's being used. So I notice that now in anything like Messenger, FaceTime, it, it says yeah you're using it. Well the thing I noticed when you went to 14 January was that it now says if you copied message text from one app to the next app it says at the top it says information copied from notes to WhatsApp or wherever you're going to it. So I like that feature. It's interesting. Something else that was brought up is that the phone will also notify you if the camera part is third party. Now we've seen this once before with the battery and people were not happy about that. I don't know if anybody has any thoughts. I think the issue is not whether or not your camera is third party. It's what it then does about it. So if I've had my camera replaced 
say I broke, broke it, I may know that it's third party and be fine with it. As long as they then don't stop my phone working, that wouldn't be a problem. And actually, it could be an advantage because actually, if I've paid someone and, and I think that they've replaced it with legit parts, knowing that they haven't, I'd be able to go, this isn't an Apple part, what's going on? From a security point of view, there is the advantage that if it was someone trying to be malicious, they could put something into the camera and then you wouldn't know it's being turned on because it's reading stuff or it's doing something in the background. But Apple would, that's why I put the security in. But the biggest problem I have is what about the countries which don't currently have Apple stores? So good example is New Zealand. In New Zealand, you would then have to send your phone to Australia to get fixed and then wait for the time for it to come back again in order for it to be working. Now, that's legitimate reason for third party systems to be using it because it, you may be without your phone for two weeks. So there are a number of plausible reasons in other countries where you might want a third-party app because you just can't get hold of it. It's an ongoing problem for authorised dealers to make sure that they, one, they've got to get the authorization, which has become increasingly difficult with Apple, I believe. Uh, and secondly, they will have to use uh, Apple parts. So that's partly where this issue comes into it. Apple still want to control the the whole of life usage of, of their products uh, rather than once they're out of warranty or anything like that. So it's it, it, again, it's slightly Apple control. And I think this is also generated by the the marketing department saying, look, when these things go wrong and they, all of a sudden it's, oh, this, this iPhone is useless, it's because it's either been in, repaired incorrectly or has not used proper parts. So the iPhone is the one that gets the slagging off because it's not working, not the fact that someone has used dodgy parts or, or third-party parts to get it repaired. And I think that's become a big point, part of Apple's, you know, how it sees itself and how its reputation is. It's, uh... It all depends on if Apple are going to be the only one selling that part. And let's say that someone's just cracked the lens and all they want to do is just replace the glass. Or it turns out it's a bad cable and they don't want to buy the whole camera assembly. If the cable costs, let's say, five cents, but the whole camera unit costs $50, why are you going to charge the customer $50 when all that's wrong is a 50 cents or five cents cable? And this has always been a problem. I mean, currently with Apple, if you have a problem with the motherboard on the MacBook Pro or any of the laptops, you have to replace the entire top section, which starts at 300 pounds. But if it's one component, which costs what, five pence, 10 pence, <laughs> you know, it's, it's disproportionate. Plus, it's not very good for the environment if you constantly are replacing entire top section. Um, yeah, it, I, I don't think Apple do, they, Apple don't like doing that level of, of uh, motherboard repair. They won't go in and replace a, a piece. It's it's more economic for them to to replace the whole motherboard. Whereas get the time invested in trying to find a problem like that on a motherboard, it's okay. The parts are quite cheap, but the labour involved and in it can be quite expensive. But then that's not that's, that's not just take it off on Apple. I, you know, I I had a, I've got a mini, and uh, the uh, the temperature temperature sensor on the radiator went partly cost three quid. But many wanted over three hundred pounds to repair it because to get to it they had to take the whole front of the car off. So the bill for a two three dollar piece was nearly three hundred quid. You know, so I don't think Apple are alone in that in that fact that they replace whole components rather than repair and fix. There was also two rather small updates. I don't know if anybody's noticed. You can now scan smaller QR codes, which is always helpful. And the other one is something that's important to all British listeners. When it rains, it pours. Apple have updated the weather display so that we can now see if it's going to rain by the hour, which is actually a feature of Dark Sky, the application that they purchased. So the question I have, if I ask Siri if it's going to rain, will it actually come up with an answer? Because currently it it used to go off to, was it AccuWeather before they bought Dark Sky? And that would be hit and miss. It'd say, yes, it's going to rain today. And then you ask it when, and it said, oh, two in the morning. So it, it had a 24 hours thinking about it. Whereas what you really wanted to know is, is it going to rain 
<laughs> when I go out the door. So if Dark, Dark Sky was meant to be very good, uh, so I'll be, I think I'll be having a look at the weather app. Yeah, the weather at the moment still still links to weather.com. It's not actually linking, linking to Dark Sky yet, but there are features that it's bringing across. But yeah, Dark Sky was my go-to weather forecast. The thing that intrigued me is why were we one of the last countries to have this feature? The US seemed to have had it for a while. Well, they're, they're, there's the whole there's the whole reason for our existence as Brew and Bite, isn't there? That that the UK always lags one step behind. I'm afraid it's uh, our cousins across the water still view us as distant cousins. Um, so we get it when it suits them. Or, or, or it could it be the fact that our weather is less predictable than the American weather, and they were fearful that if they got it wrong, all the Brits would complain and not use the app. It's like having a default clock that's California all the time. It's Britain, it must be raining. Or it's Britain, we must have four seasons in one day. On that note, in signs of cloudiness, has anybody done the 11.2 update to their Mac? No. Yeah. And no, it's just come in as it needs to be done, so that will be done tonight. On my test Mac, I have it, but I haven't it on my work mac so i have a test machine for running the betas so yes it looks interesting but i haven't used it much but i'll have a look at it this week have you seen much change i did the install i never had some of the issues that were brought up in the past it was obviously a certain machine or a different setup that people were using one thing that has been successfully repaired seems to be the Bluetooth issue that was on the M1 Max. So that's probably made a lot of people happy out there using lots of Bluetooth devices. Other than that, it seems to be far more reliable than any of the other updates that I've seen. I've not had any major crashes as yet. There are some exciting add-ons that are coming in the beta that was released. So 11.3. Martin will be very happy because they are now supporting stereo paired home pods. So there's a reason to buy another one. <laughs> yeah, well, so we've 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 got a pair in the in the lounge, which worked really well, uh, and I've got one in the bedroom. But I want to go a couple of mini ones. Yeah, looking forward to trying that out. Has have they improved iTunes yet? Because the the version of iTunes is not as good as the previous iteration the one because if you for example you build a smart playlist and you want to look at inside that smart playlist of you know four star three star you can't look at it at the moment because they just say fine it's all been added whereas in the previous iteration you could so oh i'm coming across that problem if you look at that so i have one frustration with apple music if i pick out one particular song in an album and i play it when it comes to the end it then automatically plays a similar suggested song from Apple Music rather than go to the next album that's in your library. That can be a bit of a frustration at the moment. Keep yelling at Siri saying stop. So one update that's coming in 11.3 is the fact that you can improve the features of Siri in that the start page is far more customizable. Now, I've not had a play with this yet, but that'll be interesting to see what they've done there. And one thing that I really liked is that developers can now incorporate speech recognition into their websites, which is, again, pushing the accessibility features. You also mentioned that, uh, were you saying that the in, in 11.3, they're going to introduce the phone opening your Mac? Because I thought that was already there. Mine, mine, my MacBook Pro now opens up as soon as I... I walk into the room and I've got my watch on. I think they're improving how that works right. more than anything or that it opens up quicker. To be honest, I used to have that switched on, but I haven't recently. Now, this reminds me of the Bad Maid security attack. You heard of this one? No. So Bad Maid is, a, is the official term for it. So all that you have to do is then take the watch and put it in proximity to the laptop and you could read what's on there. So this could be the... Uh, you go and have a shower, your your maid takes your watch, holds it near your laptop, reads what's on your laptop and takes anything off it and then puts the watch back and you don't know anything about it. Yeah, but the, the watch has to be, I have to be wearing the watch for it to work. It won't work if I just take the, if I, if I just have the watch in my hand, it won't wear it. It has to be on my wrist and the watch then accepts that I am who I say I am. So I'm not sure whether that would, that, that might have been, that might have been one of the upgrades to stop that that process happening. That you, 
the watch has to be on, you have to have tapped in the security code. So the watch is, is in effect live. Uh, at that point, then it will unlock your Mac. So they've, they've already thought of that. That's good. That's a really good point, Martin, because I did some more digging into how that worked when it was first released, because the concern was, is that can somebody else be wearing the watch to unlock it or that they take the watch and they just type in the numbers. But from a security point of view, what it actually does is it's monitoring your heart rate all the time when you're wearing your watch. So it's looking at the rhythm of the, per of the wearer's heart rate to identify the security aspect of it to unlock it. So if, th if this maid was sort of like from the, uh, the Bates Hotel, she couldn't just chop your arm off with your watch on it, take it over to your laptop and open up your files and get out your, um, all, all, all your private details. That's, that's, that's good to know. I won't, I won't be too worried that now. On that security subject, I don't know if any of you saw that Apple have also developed a way of unlocking your iPhone whilst wearing a face mask, because I am sure you've all experienced at some point the difficulty of trying to unlock your phone with Face ID and you're wearing a COVID face mask. It's very frustrating, especially when you're trying to pay for something in a supermarket. Can't you set up a second face uh, facility with wearing a mask? Doesn't it, doesn't it recognise your face with a mask on? I thought I saw that somewhere. So I'd seen some examples of this update where people were trying to trick the system. And the way that the facial ID lock works is it actually takes a measurement from your eye to your nose so when you're wearing a face mask, it can't get a clear reading of that measurement. So they've now had to revert to a secondary device with some more information, hence the heart rate in the watch to be the authenticator of that. But I saw some examples and people were putting it to the test and it did seem quite reliable. Yeah, because the facial recognition that they use is similar to what the police are now using for their, um, uh, what do they call, facial geometry software, which can, so from a, a bad blurry photograph, the system can work out your, as you say, your nose, cheekbone, uh, jawbone positions and still approximate whether or not it matches the, uh, the information they have. The minority report will be with us soon, won't it? There's also been two pieces of funny news this week, which is an unusual one in relation to Apple. One being a gentleman discovered that he couldn't swallow or have a drink this week after he discovered he'd swallowed an AirPod. <laughs> uh, okay, go on, I'll ask the question. Why on earth did he swallow an AirPod? <laughs> the worrying thing is, is it took him a long time to identify. So don't, don't, don't tell me he used find my airpod that it started said it's very close to you <laughs> but that's one hell of an aspirin to take isn't it you think you think it's a you know you're groveling around at night in, in on your bedside tablet looking for an aspirin and you you swallow your airpod i think that's go, that's going some isn't it <laughs> either that or you've got incredibly strong snore and you snore and you you inhale it and it well i i shall put a an answer to this I don't know if any of you have any suggestions of how it happened, and we'll see how close you get. So Alistair thinks they snorted it. <laughs> yeah, it would have been interesting when he went into the Apple store to say, oh, by the way, this one's not working. Was he playing soul music? Yes. Oh. So I know you're desperate to find out how it happened and that you don't want to recreate this incident. So what the gentleman had done, he'd obviously had a very long day at work, like the rest of us at some point, come home and popped his AirPods into his ears and laid on the bed and fell asleep while listening to his music to discover that one had fell out of the ear and that he'd swallowed it in his sleep. And when he got up in the morning, he's obviously looking for his missing <laughs> AirPods and couldn't find it and thought, oh, he must have lost it somewhere or it's under the bed or it's amongst the duvet. It wasn't until later in the day that when he went to swallow a glass of water, I believe, that he discovered he couldn't swallow and was concerned and rushed off to the hospital to find out why. It wasn't till the x-ray that discovered he had swallowed his AirPod. Well, how far down did it get? There is actually some photographs online of his x-ray to show where it had been lodged. He was lucky it wasn't a pass-through. <laughs> Oh, no, I think a pass-through would be good because at least it had come out, whereas presumably they had to operate to take this out. Yeah, I don't know what um, what uh, waterproof code that would come under. Sorry. Oh, I'm just thinking about the battery and I'm just thinking about someone having to have a 
an operation to get it out. Yeah, because you wouldn't want the battery to leak whilst you swallowed it. Mm. Yeah, you'd want it to go through very quickly. That's all I'm going to say. But It's lucky he wasn't walking around saying, hey, Siri, to try and activate where it was. Um, I think I'll be very careful about buying second-hand AirPods, though, for the time being. And something a little less more dangerous than swallowing an AirPod, some interesting news out of Italy was that a gentleman has actually modified a Game Boy Color, I believe, to become an Apple TV remote, which is an interesting one. I always think the first thing that comes to my mind when things like this is, is why? <laughs> why would you do that? Okay. I suppose I have Everest, it's just there. The fact that it's also in Italian makes it slightly less accessible. It's interesting because a lot of news outlets were following this story and they said that it was two bonuses to an updated Apple remote. One, it works far better than the current Apple remote. And two, you could always take a break and play Mario. <laughs> and three, apparently you could find it in the dark. I shall go away and see if I can try this myself. There's a, a new project for me during lockdown and see what I come up with. So we've come across some tech questions for this week from our listeners. One gentleman is considering buying a new Mac Mini M1. And let's hear from Chris with his question. I currently have an iPad Pro and I'm thinking of getting an M1 Mac Mini. Um, now, I've had an iPad for years and years. And my, the last Mac I had was a iMac, uh, maybe from 2010. And I think it had Mountain Line on it. So before I got rid of that Mac, I created a time machine of, of, the, of my files. Well, if I plug my time machine drive into the Mac Mini, uh, will I be able to restore my Mac from that or be able to easily access the files or do I have to pick out the files like fish bones? What's my experience going to be? That's my question. Good luck answering it. Thanks. So the way I look at it is that you would have to look at this as two separate issues. So the first one, you would say that the data stored in the document folder and the download folder would probably transfer over because that would be compatible with the Mac 10 years later because it's just document files. The applications is a completely different set of rules because with Migration Assistant, it won't copy over any 32-bit apps because Big Sur now is 64-bit only. Some of the apps would still work which are 64-bit because they there's that Rosetta program now in, in the M1 computers, which allows Intel Macs uh, software to work on a Mac. But the bigger question is, what happens to the Apple program, such as iPhoto, which would have been around 10 years ago, and Photos, so there may be an incompatibility there. You may end up with corrupted data when Photos gets opened. Mail will be very different. so. That will come over, but you may find that it might not work or the application's settings may have changed. So if you were using Google, Google now requires second factor passwords to be put in. or it would, So there may be a few issues there. Most of the data should come over. The only other thing I was thinking of is if you were running Apple Works on your old 10-year-old machine, maybe it was running Snow Leopard. You can't run Apple Works now on any Big Sur computers. Do you think that he'd come up against an issue going from Apple's new file system? Uh, APFS. The main thing is you always have to think about it is that Big Sur, you now have difference between the applications and your data. So, for example, if on the machine he had 10 years ago, it was a bit like you had the car and the driver and the passengers were all in the same compartment. Now, under Big Sur, it's like a steam engine. You've got the driver in his own vehicle and the passengers in the carriage, and the two don't meet each other. And so if one was dependent upon the other, it might not work. For example, iPhoto. So iPhoto would still be there. Or if he had something like Aperture or any of those similar apps, it might not work. But I'll defer to Martin and Tina, who know a bit more about Aperture tonight. Well, the, the, the only thing I have regarding the question, he says, I used to have an older Mac over 10 years ago from which I have a time machine backup. Um, I presume he didn't just suddenly stop and start afresh 10 years ago. So it may be that a lot of those files on, on his old Mac are in use today in the current versions. So he may 
he may need to upgrade his newer versions first. And so, but as you say, it would be it would be interesting to see because ten years ago you were talking about what system two thousand and seven, two thousand and eleven. You were talking about, I think uh, was Lion or maybe Leopard. Yeah. So. Yeah. So he wouldn't be able to use any old, old programs from that period anyway, and therefore he'd just be transferring his data and his documents, which should port over correctly, I would presume. I think he'd be wise to put them into a into a separate folder or connect up an external hard drive and, and drop them onto that rather than straight into his new M1 Mac that he's going to buy. Um, but I can't see any problems with the documents. Uh, immediately saying that if you've got old word documents doc files you can have problems transferring them to 365 so the, the other big problem you'd run up against is if you have old preference files so for example if uh if you've transferred from say the 2010 version or the 2008 version of word which would have been probable at that time the preference files were doc DOC files, not DOCX, which is the current standard. Plus, the preference files are incompatible. So if you bring in uh, a new document into Office 365 and, you're tr and you've got brought in the preference from 10 years ago, it say, would you like to change the normal template? And that may cause a few corruption issues. Outlook from 10 years ago is very different beast from today's Outlook format. I don't think Outlook would even work because I have issues with Outlook. Not, and the irony is I don't use Outlook, but every time I have an update, it says Outlook doesn't work. Also, Outlook wasn't around the dominant platform. It was Entourage. Entourage was the big thing 10 years ago, and that is very much not working on anything after Mountain Lion. Yeah. I think, I think, that, I think the general would have to consider why he's trying to recover 10-year-old files and what, what he... That's, that's the key. Yeah, what, what does he want off this old machine? Because does he want access to old... I don't know. Yeah. I mean... It, Unless it's an unless it's an archive situation with uh, with uh, certain documents that he needs to keep archived, but even after ten years now these days we don't. So yeah, I think he would maybe he'd be wise to update it, put it into a separate folder before he brings it into his new machine, just in case he causes corruptions to his existing files. If he if he brings in his new files from whatever machine he's using at the moment and then updates from his 10-year-old programs, he might very well overwrite current files with the old stuff that he had from 10 years ago, which caused even more problems. So, yeah, I, I would be very careful about restoring to that from, from a machine that old. What I would definitely say is set up the M1 Mac with one account, you know, like a, an administrator account, then set up a, a secondary account, which would be your migrated account, so that you completely isolate the two accounts. So if there was any corruption, it wouldn't corrupt your administrator account. Now, there is one interesting thing that could happen going forwards. VMware and Parallels are working to produce uh, a version of their software to work on the M1 Max. So at some point, you could do a 10-year-old operating system. So you could put like Lion on it and then import from that VM the 10 year old software so you're running the 10 year old software within the m1 through a vm machine if you really wanted it and then that would be sandboxed correctly and it wouldn't touch anything to do with big sir or the current operating systems and if there was any files that were corrupted it wouldn't affect anything else i think i agree with martin the key is why does he want to do it what is he on on that um backup that he wants because there'll be so many things that will have changed in the time. Like even if you've kept the same email, have you got still got the same passwords? You know things like that. Maybe we could uh, get him to come back to us again with a little bit more information as to to why he wants this this thing. We can then give him a, maybe a slightly better uh, way forward. But I, I would suggest he be very careful about doing that. I think technically you can, but I think you might end up giving yourself more headaches than uh, than the backup would be worth. Okay, question number two. What would be the best high quality widescreen display that I could buy that's under £500 
to be used with a MacBook Pro late 2014 model. So this would then have two Thunderbolt, two ports, two USB 3 ports, and an HDMI port. So that would indicate that you could connect up either HDMI or a Thunderbolt connection to the monitor. I would say that you'd probably say that LG or Ilama would be the ones I would look at myself. There was that monitor that, L, that LG was making for Apple, which came out, was it three years ago, two years ago? Which was the one which they were uh, Apple was make was making with LG before they made the incredibly expensive one. What it comes down to um, is sort of personal preference as well. Some of the new monitors have the matte coating on them, so that they're good if you don't want reflective sort of like if you're doing a lot of video editing or photo editing. The other thing to consider is what size monitor i mean i would say nowadays a standard would be 27 some people want to go larger than that also to remember what would you want to run off it per periphery wise so for example i currently have a monitor where i have two usb connections coming off it because i run my mouse and uh, an additional usb drive coming off it with a thunderbolt drive you would you could connect it up to that so what the power constraints are but i definitely look at lg at the moment or Ilama? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's too broad a question. It, it very much depends. What's the, if the guy's doing spreadsheets and that's all he's doing and uh, mail and, and stuff like that, that's a totally different type of monitor. If he's doing video uh, editing, if he's doing photographic work or he's using some, some of the big uh, pro applications then he needs a completely different type of of monitor my recommendation would be a very good samsung 32 inch curved screen which if you are doing video work and uh, photographic work is excellent for um, high quality good good color palettes uh, and it's uh it's about 350 pound which it's a sort of figure that for that sort of money, you can get something quite reasonable. It's a known make, Samsung, of course, but there are some very good secondary makes. We mentioned them earlier on. Alame uh, can make some really good stuff. Um, I've actually seen one from Bink. Really good, really good quality. But are they going to last? Are they going to stay in that pretty out-of-the-box mode for how long? So, again, I unfortunately need a little bit more information as to what the, what the, uh, the person wants to use the monitor for. I found I found that monitor you're talking about, uh, Martin. So it's the Samsung CJ791. That's the big curved one. And I think the LG one was the LG 32UL950W. That was the one that Apple was making with LG. So yes, yeah, so I think. Um, but to, but to be honest, it's it, I think it's a good old trawl through Google. Um, there's plenty of good platforms out there uh, which will show you. And, and you can then, once you've found the one, if you narrow it down to one or two, again, go onto YouTube, have a look and see if you've got any reports or reviews or experience um, and, and see how it works. But you really need to tie down what you want to use the monitor for. If it's a gaming monitor, if you want to do games, then it's a, almost a completely different ballgame. I would say the guy who's normally the expert on this I would normally go to would be John Zaracusa because he gets absolutely fanatical about different types of bits, the bezels, the, the, the connections, how it's all done. And he did a whole series on this, uh, on his podcast, ATP. Uh, his website, hypercritical.co, normally has um, a lot of good information on it. And of course, he's, if he's got a Mac Pro 15 2014 model, he's going to need a, don a dongle to bring out his HDMI. Uh... You'll also find that LG made a lot of monitors that have got Thunderbolt outputs, which would be helpful in that regard. So he's then keeping his HDMI port open. My question would be, would well, I'm going to throw this open to all of you, is would you choose a curved screen or two monitors? Um, I, would, I would go for a curved screen because I've already got the, uh, the monitor on my MacBook Pro. So for putting, when I'm doing Final Cut Pro work, um, I can put all the little uh, smaller windows on my MacBook um, display, use them from there. And then I've got my, the big screen in front of me that I can concentrate on the, on the ed editing purposes and uh, looking at what, uh, what I'm trying to produce. 
so no, I, I would be a one, one a large curved, let's say a thirty-two inch monitor like that is 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 almost perfect for uh, Final Cut Pro work. I guess it depends on what size desk you have, and also what you want to spend your money on. Because the irony is, I would, if I had the money, what I'd actually be looking at is photo editing. So rather, I, rather than me spend money, say, on another screen. Mm, I think for me. I've done lots of reading recently, and I think it would have to be a curved monitor. The only criticism I've come across with this is that if you use apps a lot in full screen mode, something like pages or notes is huge across the whole screen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, then, then you start getting into, you, you, you can be getting into RSI uh, conditions there. If you're, if you're moving your head too much from side to side with a curved screen, you can give yourself neck problems. Whereas, um, yeah, if it's, uh, the, the thing I find, I wear glasses. So the thing I find with a curved screen is that everything stays in the same plane of focus. Whereas with a, if you have a very large flat screen, you're just getting a slight tail off in focus either side, which you have to compensate with your own eyes each time as you're going to the edges of the screen, which by the end of the day can be quite tiring. So you need to bear those things in mind. But yeah, you are right. Looking at looking at pages on a 32-inch wide curved screen is, I think, a little bit overkill. Okay. So our last question, um, a lady had been receiving lots of spam but not in her email. It was actually appearing in iCal, and she wanted to know, do we have any solutions to stop this, or where is it coming from? So this one could be a series of places where it could coming from. So I've come across this in the past coming from both iMessage uh, and other messaging apps which have malicious payloads on them. So it says, click on this link, and you click on the link in the application, and it downloads something and sticks it in mail. The other option I would say have a look at is look at your connected devices. So traditionally, an iPhone or a calendar would be connected up to maybe another computer, and maybe that other computer has some malware on it so you'd probably run something like uh, malware bytes and check see if anything's running on it if that's not the case i would then say change your password for your email uh so if you are running a gmail uh, account gmail has the ability to give you google calendar and you may have something compromised on your password. So if you're using your password on Gmail, as the same for Amazon, as the same for your bank, and uh, one of the sites gets compromised, they'll just use that compromised password to get hold of your email and access it from there. So it's always a good policy to have a different password for every site. So I'd say it's three things you need to check. One, change your password on your email. Uh, connected to calendar to check for other connected devices and scan those in case they've got any malicious content and three um i would say check to see that there is nothing connected like any additional calendars or any other devices which it could be pulling feeds from i had a quick look at the uh the image screenshots you sent in for these uh they there appear to be um diary entries which have been added automatically to her calendar um but when i look at them each of the three that's shown here all have a different address that they're coming from so it sounds like i think she's got some kind of spam bot which has got hold of her uh, ical account and is sending these um automatic entries to her iCal iCal. So I think you're right, Alistair, that needs to be she needs to reformat and re um set up her iCal account and her email address because it looks like these if these are coming in as our iCal notification downloaded into her file, they've been automatically added. So I think someone has, as you say, has um has got hold of her 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 email address, which is connected to her, her iCal work. It'd be interesting to know whether that's actually happening on her MacBook uh, and on her iCloud account, or is it just purely on the phone here? 
but yeah, base suggestion is to to clear them all out and and read and change and reset up all your your iCal email addresses and and everything for that particular phone. Let, let, let us know how you get on. If the lady could come back to us and let us know, we, we, we can take this further if we have, again, a little bit more information. Yeah, I'd be intrigued to see how, how aware this is trying to infiltrate itself. I wondered, is it that it's setting up a subscription to a calendar? I'm wondering if it also, there was a time some time back where one of the databases which Apple was using was compromised. You know, it was one of the archive backups and it was setting it up in iCloud on the cloud. So iCloud.com, but it wasn't on the computers and it was compromised through a weakness in the web browser. This was some time back, if you remember, it was at the same time where celebrity photographs were disappearing. This week, we're going to introduce something new to the show and I shall let Martin introduce it because it was his idea okay yes uh, we thought that um, we might uh, have a, a little thing each week about do you know there's lots of stuff that we all know that we think we're the that everyone knows and it turns out quite often it's not it's a little trick or tip or useful little feature that you use or know or having your in your locker for helping you out things like keyboard shortcuts which a lot of us use on a regular basis and items like that. The one that brought it to mind was because it's something I didn't know was on your phone when you open your phone up and you're on your home page at the bottom is a little row of little dots which indicate how many windows you have on your of all your uh, icons for your different applications. And if you're like me, I've got what ten different windows here because I've got so many apps on my phone. I used to flick through one at a time to try and get there. What I didn't know was if you scroll along that list of all those dots, you can flick instantly from uh, pane to pane, saving you huge amounts of time and wear on your index finger as you flick backwards and forwards. So what we might do is each week have a uh, little section where it's do you know, um, and we'll give you one of our little tips or tricks or something that we uh, we, we find as an, an interesting fact. And of course... The big point is as well, it's it's open to everyone who listens to the podcast. So if you have a do you know that uh, you think no one else knows or you want to maybe pass on, send them in to us. Uh, send us an email, say, I have a little do you know, and then tell us what it is and we'll be uh, happy to use the best ones each week. On that subject, who would like to go first? So the one of the things which I found I use a lot is if you're on something like Word or Pages and you spell something incorrect, which I'm always doing because I, I'm dyslexic, so I always spell things phonetic, uh, you get a little red line appear underneath any words that you misspell. And a lot of people don't know that if you right-click or control-click, if, you if you're on a trackpad-based laptop, you get it all the different options. So, for example, if you, the thing I always find particularly difficult is preferences. So I'm always typing system preferences and I misspell it by one or two letters. If I click on the red line and then hold down the control key or right click, it says preferences or other variations. Now that little tiny shortcut, I discovered a lot of people don't even know exists. They just go, oh, it's annoying. It's red line. So I thought that was quite a useful one. Tina, what would be your suggestion? I have loads because I use lots of shortcuts for things like command W for for shutting that document, command P for printing, command C for copying, command V for pasting. I also like the one where you do is it shift, alt and four and then you'll get little crosshairs appear and then you can select a part of your screen to do a, a, yeah, a screenshot and then when I'm in Word I have lots of shortcuts so command V will get you a square root sign which is not I'll admit something that lots of you will need, but I did. And if I can just add to that, Tina, what you said there, if you go Shift Command Five uh, on the on the newer versions of it, it'll open up a, a an option for you to take either a screenshot from a section that you can choose from a window that you have open, or the entire desktop. It also has two buttons there for recording what you're doing so you can record a whole section of movements diagrams literature if you're trying to explain to someone how you do a particular process you can record what you're doing on the screen uh, and then just go back in there and press uh, stop or end and it'll stop recording and then that screen save is stored in your downloads folder 
and you can then send, send it to wherever you want. One of the things I would say is I'll just go through them. So you've got Shift Command 3 takes a picture of the screen. Shift Command 4 gives you the little crosshairs. Shift Command 4 spacebar gives you, the, uh, gives you um, the ability to roll over any of the windows you currently got open, and it will only take a picture of that window and then puts a little shadow behind it. So if you want to drop it into Pages or Word or anything like that, and it comes incredibly useful if you're trying to tell someone um, how to do anything. So if you're saying, click on System Preferences, then click About This Mac, then click on Storage, that will tell you where all your space is gone. Now, that's all very well if the person understands what you're talking about, but if you're having to email it to someone and they're in a different time zone and you can't really phone them, there's a five-hour time difference between us. So I will often do screenshots and send it to them, and it's a damn sight easier. The other one I will say, uh, which I use a lot for shortcuts, I've done especially so in this lockdown, is if I'm copying text from a web page and I need to put it into a Word document or an email, if you do Shift, Alt, or uh, Option, Command, and V, that will copy the text and paste it in with the same uh, format, same size, same color as your existing document. So you may be com you may be copying uh, the Dunda 32 in black, and you want to put it into your mail document, which is traditionally Helvetica New 12 in black, and it will copy it over perfectly without any annoying formatting which you will often get what I call hidden formatting. So it would suddenly make things bigger or small or it changes the color and it's really infuriating. So I find that incredibly useful. And then the final one I would say, if you use this, you've got enough time to make yourself a cup of tea, is if you press command space, that opens up spotlight. And so for example, if I want to open up any applications, I don't open them from the dock. I just go command space, Type the first couple of letters. So if I want console, I just write C-O-N. Or if I want Word, I type W-O-D. And then hit the Enter button. And it opens up Word or Excel. And it does it without me having to use a mouse. And it does it faster <laughs> than me hunting down the dock, clicking on it, waiting for it to open. Because I just type it very fast and it opens instantly. More importantly, this is incredibly useful if you're having to teach, uh, talk to anyone on over the telephone and you need them to open up an application and you have no idea which version of the operating system they're currently using. They could be any on any operating system from Big Sur all the way back to Panther. And it works, I think, all the way up to, I think it came in on Leopard. And so you can tell anyone and they can open it up fast, especially if you've got clients like me who have starting to lose their memory. So this comes in very useful. Okay. I actually have two random ones. I don't know if you've discovered this. This is unique to iOS. So when you've got Safari open and you've got the little icons along the bottom, if you press and hold down on each of the icons, there are actually some hidden functions in those. One being that you can open a private tab from the corner. You can also close all of the tabs that you've got open on your iPhone at once. Ooh, I didn't even know that existed. My, fav my favorite one is that if you hold down the book, you can actually add this web page to my reading list. I use this function a lot on the desktop, but this is not obvious on an iOS device of how to do that. So there you go. The perfect example of, I didn't know that, or I knew that. So if you have any of your own that, uh, that you find that you use an awful lot, could be passed on to others to make their life easier please send it in and we'll uh, we'll be happy to uh, use them another form of shortcut is a visual one mission control i don't know how many of you use this i don't use it at all so mission control is very useful if you're getting people who are coming in from windows and need to be taught it but the one thing i've discovered from teaching mission control in classrooms is the vast majority of people have no idea that those dots exist at the bottom do any of you use hot corners? That's part of mission control. So you can swipe to the top corner or bottom corner. It actually works really well. Um, I've actually got it turned off here because I use a slightly different app that responds to the corners of the screen. But it does actually work really well now. It's far better than it ever was. T 
Tina, did you want to talk about Busy Cow? And what I didn't like about iCal at the time, so don't shoot the messenger if they fix this, but if you gave a task that say, say I wanted to do something in two weeks' time, I wanted to remind myself to do it in two weeks' time, well, you'd end up with a list of tasks, or a list of to-dos, or reminders, whatever they're called like, um, and you don't necessarily want to do it. You could actually set a task to do a year in advance. Well, you don't want to see it until it's relevant. And so I bought BusyCal. And the reason I bought BusyCal was because um, you could have tasks. And I like the way it's set up. So you've got greens, you've got um, on the right if you want a list of today's tasks. Um, it's just really very easy to use. And the best thing about BusyCal is... It sits on top of iCal and they sync between them. So if I put something in my um, VisiCal calendar on my Mac, it syncs with iCal, which means it automatically appears in my um, calendar on my phone and on my iPad. So I, I don't use the iOS apps, although there are iOS apps. And the other thing I like about them as an organisation is um, once you've bought it, normally you get two, two years of updates for free. But even then, when you run out, I've just actually you, and it was like 19 quid, 20 quid. And so you just think, okay, I use this app every day. I'm happy to pay that. You know, it's reasonable. I use BusyCal as well, and I've used it pretty much since version one when it first came out. Because at the time, the old version of iCal was far superior than the version that they brought out. What this must have been, Panther or Tygo. It was one of those two that's of that far back. And I needed to integrate it with Google Calendar at the time. And iCal was having a problem with Google Calendar. More importantly, I found that the layout of BusyCal is nice and simple. So I liked having a panel on the right-hand side where I could have permanently open and it would say, so when you click on any events in your calendar, it would say on the right-hand side, the details. So it would say, what time do you need to leave? So that's your travel time. Uh, when do you want the alerts? What, what's the address of the person? What's the notes? Uh, do you want it reoccurring? How many times do you want it reoccurring? All those things were nice and easy, and they were always in the permanently in the same place, and they didn't change from version to version. The problem I found with iCal is every time you upgraded the operating system, it would change the location or the feature or how you have to find it. BusyCal has been pretty much the same all the way through. The second thing I love about BusyCal a few versions back was they put in the ability to put onto the menu bar on the right-hand side near where you would normally have spotlight, a little tiny icon, which would tell you the date. Now, the amount of times I go up there to look at what date it is, because I forget what date it is of this week, especially when every day is very similar when you're in uh, lockdown. And then if you click on that little icon, it would give you a little tiny window of this month. And then it would list all the appointments you have for that month or that week. And that itself is worth 20 quid because the the amount of times i just want to know what date it is i don't want to have apple's version which gives me the date and the month and the year i just want the date not 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 the free the other two bits that go with it um and so it's incredibly useful from that simple perspective also it comes with free weather which i can't complain about i have a suggestion for an app that helps our productivity and we've spoke about using shortcut keys what would you say if i said there is an app out there that means you don't have to keep continuously using shortcut keys on the keyboard sounds interesting so there is actually which is lovely to say this for once there is a uk developer based in Lancashire and he has come up with a series of different apps that do little bits and pieces to help. I don't know if you have seen this one but it's called PopClip. So what PopClip you can highlight over some text and a little menu pops up over your highlighted text giving you some shortcut options. So there's the typical ones of copy, paste, but the interesting thing is, is that they actually make plugins to be used with other pieces of software. So I can highlight over an article and a little pop-up window comes up and it says 
post to Slack? Or do you want to tweet this, which saves an absolute amazing amount of time? And the one thing that I really liked was in delving into his website a little bit more. He said that his philosophy is that he creates products that I want to use myself. And there's also some really lovely quirky comments that come up on the website in the corner from users of his software. So it's definitely worth a look and you can actually customize the plugins yourself. It's quite easy to do. There's no technical knowledge required. So you could actually tell the shortcut to select the text and send an iMessage rather than it go to Slack. This has saved me hours and hours of time. One of the things I found on my MacBook, because I have a 13 inch MacBook, so I have a smaller screen than I do on my 27 inch uh, desktop is bartender. You come across this one? Ah, yes. So you can put all the apps into uh, a secondary screen and it hides all your little uh, apps that you have in your menu bar. So you have more space and so you can double it up, which comes in quite useful. If I'm not mistaken at the moment for people using Big Sur, the actual app developer of that is offering the program for free as a testing program. So it might be worth a look. I think he's on version four of this piece of software. My only criticism of that is a, is a design quirk is that the icon for it in the bar at the top is almost identical to LastPass's icon. There was one I saw for Big Sur, which makes your menu bar go less transparent, which I found very useful. I'm trying to remember what it was called. It sounded like simple menu bar or something like that i'll find it and put it in the show notes for you does anybody use any shortcut type things on an ipad well text expander is common across all platforms so the i use it on my macbook pro i use it on my ipad i use it on my phone uh, so that's one where shortcuts can transfer easily between devices also the shortcut menu i need to check this out before i comment on it but as far as I see the shortcut memory in your system if you set it up on a phone will also work on an ipad i don't know whether to carry across through icloud the in-house shortcut system on on the, on the mac then yes they do seem to port across the, your your various different pieces of kit that you've got do you have any custom shortcuts that you use that you've made yourself one of the things i do use common shortcut i use all the time on my iphone is take a screenshot i have a se mark two and so i use the power button and the home key and then you push them together and it takes a screenshot because the amount of times i have to take screenshots to send to people and they say well how do i change it so if i do a screenshot and then i can draw over it and then i can draw like a draw an arrow and say this button or this is what you should look for and then i put together all the little screenshots and then i put it as an email and i send it to the client and then they know how to deal with it because you try describing to someone how to click on an icon over the telephone when they're not very confident. And screenshots comes in incredibly useful. My favorite shortcut for an iPad is the fact that you can use a mouse with it and a keyboard. So far more keyboard-related shortcuts now work on iOS for iPad, which is good fun. And I believe the most recent update is also adding some more functionality, 14.5. So that'll be fun to have a play with. Yeah, there was a quite a nice video uh, in one of the sound bites that we did, which which had all the different things that you could do when you connect up the adapter to an iPad. And you can connect up a hard drive, you can connect up a mouse, you can connect up a keyboard, I believe, and an Ethernet connection. You can. So I have actually done an Ethernet connection to an iPhone and it does work spectacularly well and it's interesting to also run a speed test on it to see what your internet connection can you tell me the use case why you'd need to run ethernet off an iphone so i had a scenario where someone was having problems connecting to their wi-fi network and we wondered if it was an issue with the wi-fi chip in the phone so that kind of eliminated the fact testing is it their home wi-fi or is it the phone itself? I think if I go through my box of defunct dongles, yeah, I'd find, I'd find, uh, I've, I, I have got an Ethernet to Lightning adapter somewhere. I know I have. Lightning to USB 3 camera adapter is very useful because that has a Lightning connector and a USB 
USB-C. So that means if you're having anything with a power, high power supply, like a hard drive, you can then put the power supply in on, so like a power pack, you know, like an anchor power pack, and then put your hard drive onto the other side, and then it, it connects the two, and so you can get stuff running off your iPhone or iPad. Because I had a usage case about four months ago where I had a client who wanted to connect keyboard and mouse and hard drive to a iPad Pro. Here's a good challenge. How do I connect an XLR musical instrument to an iPad? Right, explain. What's an XLR musical instrument? Quite large. So so for for our podcast listeners, it's a connection which is probably uh so it's circular with three pins on it. Um and it has a male and a female connector. You traditionally find them on stuff like high grade microphones and uh, other such musical instruments, and they're quite a big chunky connection. Uh so probably about inch and maybe about two inches long with a small sort of sort of roundish edge to end, and so they're quite heavy duty so you're not going to lose connection of them yeah that's not an easy one to solve but it can it can physically be done we should do a whole series on what can i connect well that's all we have time for this week let's say thank you to the panel so first up we'll say thank you very much to martin i know he's a very busy man <laughs> thank you very much craig i enjoyed it as ever and alistair thank you very much yet again for all your technical advice well, thanks, everyone. It's uh, it's always great uh, meeting up and talking about this. And thank you to Tina. It's great to talk to you.